1: Exclusively on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station.
2: It's so Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770, our highlights podcast. Uh, another uh, rousing chat with a friend Charles Adler. We talked about uh, the state of conservatism in both Canada and the U.S. Uh, obviously, much different developments in the news, but some some common threads there.
3: And we talked about Tesla Motors and what's driving <laughs> thousands, hundreds of thousands of people to Tesla stores to put down a $1,000 U.S. for a car that they might not even get to drive for five years. You can listen to Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770, weekday mornings, 9.30. To twelve thirty. Welcome back. Oh no! It sorry, I got that one wrong. And we're back. I'm Roger. That's Rob. Wow, that's sounds exciting. That was some like '90s <laughs> uh, rock radio. And we're back. Uh. Seven degrees in Calgary. Um. You know, it's it's uh, it's an interesting time for conservatism, and it's, I'm really, I think, I feel like I'm like in the middle of it, looking at, you know, these, like a battle royal of conservatism unfolding around me, which is normally something that I like, but this time it's really frustrating because it, I feel, 38-year-old me, that um, there's not a whole lot of young people stepping up and going, hey, hey, look, let's do it this way. Does that make sense?
2: Well, what do you mean by young,
3: though? People under 40.
2: Under 40? Yeah.
3: Well, maybe okay, and and that's just kind of how I feel, and I just want to lay that out there as we go into this hour of conversation, so that you know where my head is at. Because John Iveson's coming up at ten thirty, we're going to talk about the federal Conservative Party. Uh, they got to pick a new leader, but not only that, they got to kind of pick a direction too. They seem a bit listless at times, and you know, I think that they got to come to to reckon with the fact that um, it wasn't just the leader that they threw out that Canada rejected in the you know, in the election. In October, it was the party and it was the, the tone and the ideas. It was the, the whole thing just didn't work for Canada last fall.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, certainly uh, conservatives in this country are, are kind of figuring out with where they go from here. I mean, it's uh, a lot of soul searching going on south of the border with uh, the Republican Party. And uh, you wonder if the Republican Party is ever going to be the same, that they're going to need to rebuild this party after this uh, rather divisive and, and ugly uh, presidential Uh, primary battle. Uh, It was Ted Cruz winning last night at Wisconsin, which was pretty big. And, you know, the math at this point would seem to indicate that the the Republicans are headed to a a brokered convention in which uh, all bets are off and anything could happen. And, And Donald Trump and his supporters are already making it pretty clear that if these delegates on the second, third, or fourth, or whatever ballot vote for someone other than Donald Trump, there's going to be trouble. They're going to make trouble. And... It's ugly. It's, it's getting really ugly, and uh, certainly you see it in, in conservative media where they're, they're turning on each other, and some are in Trump's camp, some are in Cruz's camp, and it's, it's weird.
3: weird. Weird is a good way to describe it. Hey, Charles Adler is on the phone, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you can read him on charlesadler.com. you listen to him on Sirius XM, a satellite radio, uh, 167 Canada Talks. Charles, great to talk to you.
4: Are you guys saying that the young conservatives have uh, taking their stocks of wax and like <laughs> made tracks? I mean, hey guys! <laughs> well, you're
3: you an old rock jock, weren't you, Charles? Yeah, I uh,
4: never. I did. I did. I did my damnedest never to sound what we called affected. I mean, all of us went a little overboard, but um, <laughs> those were the days. And some of those days were actually spent not terribly far from where you're you're sitting right now. My first on-air gig was CKXL. Oh yeah. Uh, no 1140 CKXL huh? in Calgary. Or, 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 I, sorry, I wasn't allowed to call it 1140 CKXL because my, my boss, Keith uh, James, uh, insisted that the folks on the street, as he put it, they call it XL. So we have to call it XL. And he, he forced me. I was an Eastern bastard, so he forced me to smile like a Westerner. He said, Eastern bastards never smile. They're too serious, <laughs> take themselves too seriously. So he he was trying to get me to say, because I would say, XL. And he would try to get me to go, XL, XL. And it was just, a, it was out, you know, people listen to that kind of stuff today and they feel uh, that must have happened like a thousand years ago. Well, it happened in, in in yours truly's lifetime, but these days that stuff does feel rather ancient.
3: Well, yeah. And, you know, it, there's kind of a way to dovetail between, you know, this kind of old school radio uh, chit chat and what's going on in politics right now, because I think that one of the things that. Uh, people like in Donald Trump is that they believe he's authentic and that he's an original. Um, And I think that there's something that really is not appealing to conservatism or uh, not appealing about conservatism, rather, to a lot of people that are trying to figure out where they'd put their votes each time and that they, they feel that conservatism is not necessarily authentic, that the leaders aren't genuine people. They're just kind of stuffed shirts carrying out business interests. What do you think of that?
4: Well, I I think that the problem that Donald Trump has with this authentic stuff is that people who take authentic seriously um, tend to think that those who are authentic know what they think, and they know why they think it. And Donald Trump doesn't. Donald Trump is a salesman, and he's a salesman. He does not care which cars are selling. You want a Tesla? I'll get you a Tesla. You want a Chevy Suburban? I'll get you one of those and so he screws up so badly when it comes to the serious conservatives who are looking for authenticity and i guess last week was the classic example of that every conservative who talks the conservative talk in america knows how to talk the abortion talk it is so easy because it's been there for literally forty years and so they know that the base of conservatives who are most pro-life are the ones who are most religious Religious Christians, primarily, uh, do not think of the woman as a person who should be punished. They think of the woman as a person who needs to be saved. That's, uh, that because, that, uh, if she's making the choice to go for abortion or leaning that way, uh, then she's, she's a lost soul. And from a Christian perspective, she's a sinner, but you don't punish the sinner, you save the sinner. This stuff, I could do this stuff for you in a coma, okay? It is easy, <laughs> uh donald trump couldn't even bother to be prepared on this issue, okay? So he talked about punishing the woman, and then then they sort of got his head straightened out. And an hour or two hours later, they put out a press release saying, no, 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 I didn't mean that, or punish the doctor, don't punish the woman. Well, you know, Donald Trump, 10 minutes ago, 10 minutes before this whole leadership bit started, was a pro-choice guy, not a pro-life guy. So when it comes to authenticity, people in Wisconsin were asking, and others were asking, if he can't even do homework on abortion... He obviously doesn't take seriously uh, conservative, social conservative catechism. If he doesn't take that seriously, what does he take seriously? So it just puts a huge question mark right in the in the middle of Donald Trump's forehead.
2: Yeah, yeah and and it's capped a really bad week for him. Um, but you know, it's. The the abortion thing, I I think, as you say, I mean, it it confirmed what a lot of people suspected, that this is someone who's who's an opportunist, that this is someone who's who's all about himself, all about his own brand, that it's all about his ego, um, that that you got to balance that even if you got a desire to shake things up or you want an outsider, you want to see change at at what cost? And you get the sense that there's a, a real hard rethink going on amongst conservatives and Republicans.
4: Conservatives are always... I'm talking about just the ideological conservatives, the activists, the so-called movement conservatives. Movement conservatives in the States for decades have talked about how the liberals are inauthentic, how the liberals are uh, too much into how the winds are blowing in in pop culture, that they're not serious people. Uh, Some have said uh, things even more disparaging than that uh, in both uh, the United States and here in Canada about liberals. But fundamentally, they believe that liberals do not have deep convictions and so conservatives see themselves as deeply convicted and then of course uh, when they're on the campaign trail they want to be as passionate as possible about those convictions those people who don't like conservatives or don't like the conservative uh, convictions especially in the social conservative area abortion uh, same-sex marriage and some others uh, think that the conservatives are just a a bunch of grumpy people uh, who are possibly mentally disordered well the movement conservatives feel much the same way about the liberals so along comes a guy like trump And he's pushing all of these different buttons, but it doesn't matter whether you're a moderate conservative or a far-right conservative. Uh, Pretty soon you get the impression he is just pushing your buttons. He is just a salesman. And although salesmen are a very, very important part of our lives, we, we need them in media. We need them everywhere. This isn't about disparaging the salesman. But that's not what people are looking for. I'm talking about people who are serious about their politics.
3: Yeah, no doubt about it. So, Do you think he carries it now, though, uh, Charles? Do you think he can, he can uh, uh, still secure the nomination, or, or is the jig up?
4: I think the jig is up, and I, I think some of the stuff out there about uh, delegates is uh, ill-informed or, or misinformed or poorly researched. Uh, these delegates don't belong to anybody. Uh, the delegates are uh, people who are, in, whether it's Republican or Democrat, they're people who are involved heavily in their parties. Many of them are elected people, whether they're elected as a judge or Uh, you know, a sheriff or a district attorney. Uh, Many of them are people who run small businesses uh, on on the Republican side primarily. And so uh, they've got a duty, and this goes state by state by state. All the states have their own rules. But they have a duty to vote for Donald Trump on the first ballot, those people who have been assigned to him based on primaries and caucuses. But they're not not the people who show up at Donald Trump rallies. I mean, these aren't the bikers with the tattoos and some of the others who are core Trump supporters. These are what I would call mainstream Republicans who've been members of the Republican Party, for most of them, for a long time. So they're duty-bound on the first ballot if they're uh, Trump delegates to vote for him. But they have no uh, duty to vote for him on the second, for the most part. Some do, but most don't. But the, the, the larger point that these people will riot, that these people will go out of their minds if uh, the convention is a brokered convention, this is just another urban myth, and it's, it's, a, it's a myth based on uh, poor research. Anyone who actually delves into the rules of, of of how these things are done in various states can figure out immediately that these aren't Donald Trump fans or Donald Trump groupies. These aren't a bunch of guys who are out there wearing their Donald Trump uh, hats and, and buying Donald Trump mugs and, and getting on Twitter, crapping on anyone who uh, doesn't support Trump. That's, that's not what this thing is about.
2: You know, that's the thing. I mean, wh- whoever's going to be the nominee has to get... A majority of delegates to vote for them, right? So, uh, whoever is the nominee is going to have that that support. That that's how the process works. As you're right, you're right. Now, I wonder though. Do you, do you think it's going to come down to either Cruz or Trump, or what do you make of the you know these these other scenarios where someone like Paul Ryan could could step forward on like the fifth or sixth ballot, somebody outside of this race becoming the nominee?
4: Well, even though democracy is you know, a part of uh, the system. It's not the entire system. Uh, Both the Democratic and Republican parties are, in fact, private clubs. And those people who run the club uh, get to determine a lot, especially if nobody wins on the first ballot. Now, hardly ever does that happen. Uh, So there hasn't been a contested convention in the Republican uh, Party since the days of of Ford and Reagan. And, uh, Roger, I don't even know if you were in Pampers when... uh, when that was going
3: on. Uh, Gerald Ford would have been my first president, sir.
4: Okay, so (laughs) you were a punk. A punk back then who might not have paid it. The point is, it was a long time ago.
2: Um,
4: These things generally get settled in the first bouts they get settled during the primary caucus uh, campaign. Uh, This one just isn't. I mean, the math uh, doesn't add up. Uh, He he needs to get... uh, Trump needs to get 60% 60% of uh, all delegates uh, between now and what I call chaos in Cleveland. That's just not on. It's not happening. So uh, it will be contested. It won't be decided on the first ballot. And then after that, all bets are off. And the idea that they'll automatically turn to Cruz is wacky. Uh, the, the, the people who run the Republican Party, this, this private club, in many ways loathe Ted Cruz more than they do Trump right now Ted Cruz is is useful to them uh, because he's the only way to stop uh, Trump from getting the 1237 but just because he's useful to them uh, in the month of April doesn't mean that he's useful to them in November and November is what this thing is all about.
3: Yeah, right. Um, by the way, uh, on age-related matters, uh, my, my under-40ness hasn't stopped me from watching that awesome documentary called Best of Enemies featuring uh, Gore Vidal and uh, William F. Buckley Jr. Uh, have you seen that one, Charles?
4: Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen fantastic. that at least
3: three or four times over the years. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, okay, so I want to hold you over, well, well, we both do, actually. want to hold you over to talk about Brad Wall. But before we get there, I was kind of making this point about uh, younger people not being engaged or enchanted, Uh by conservatism And it, I think it's because of the standard bearers, who the standard bearers are primarily. We're not talking about ideals. We're, we're talking about people. And, and I read the stat the other day that something like 80%, 75 to 80% of millennials loathe Donald Trump and could absolutely not support him. But to me, I read that as not being, they won't vote for this guy for president. It's just that they look at that and they go, ugh, conservatism. I don't want anything to do with that. What's your take?
4: The conservative brand uh, is not doing well uh, with millennials. I mean, that's uh, the understatement of the century. You know, conservative, the word itself represents two millennials yesterday, you know, conserving, uh, uh, traditional. Um, you've got the, the social conservative uh, part of, of the movement that still drives the movement in many countries. And their issues, as far as the uh, millennials are concerned, are settled issues. But millennials, you know, don't don't sit there um, rooting for you know guys sitting around a table telling a woman uh, what to do about reproduction. That too, it just feels like such an ancient picture. And and millennials who are so focused on real time, uh, who want to make absolutely sure that they're. Uh, doing the right things in order to get the right opportunities because they can't count on the company hiring them and and keeping them around for 30 or 35 years. They just don't have much time uh, to be watching the History Channel, and that's what conservatism comes across as. All
2: right, Charles, stand by. We'll take a break, and we'll come back. As mentioned, we'll talk a bit about the... the, the state of conservatism in Canada. I know uh, Brad Wall's not a guy you're going to hear talking about abortion. He seems to to have figured out how to win and win big uh, as a conservative in this country. Charles Adler, uh, you can read more at charlesadler.com, by the way. He's got a very interesting piece talking about the aforementioned Brad Wall. We're back with more right after this. Canada, Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Our guest, Charles Adler. You can listen to him on Sirius XM, Canada Talks 167, also charlesadler.com, where there's um, some very interesting thoughts, Charles, on uh, Brad Wall and what he represents and the significance of his victory of third straight majority government. Why is Brad Wall the most successful conservative politician in Canada?
4: Well, it's because of what he stays away from. You know, he just, you know, in radio, we used to call it uh, a tune-out medium. You know, stop playing songs that people don't want to hear. Stop talking about stuff that uh, people have made up their minds on already. Stop doing things that make people hit the button. And uh, people hit the button, many do, on conservatism when conservatives do the the freak-out show. And when do they freak out? Uh, They do the the freak-out show on and on and on about how, you know, the refugees are are, are dangerous. Uh, They they represent terrorism. We're going to have bombs going off. People are going to be walking into shopping centres with suicide belts, uh, who, uh, who Canada has allowed in as refugees. Um, You've got uh, the social conservative stuff that I I mentioned a few moments ago, arguments about uh, uh, equal marriage or same-sex marriage, arguments about abortion. Brad Wall just doesn't go to any of those places. Uh, They're they're walled off, if you like, uh, as far as he's concerned, because he knows that 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 stuff is, is not what... He thinks of as, and I think of as, common sense conservatives talk about. So whether whether we're we're getting together, you know, at the Canadian Tire on Saturday, or at Costco, or at the Timmys, or Starbucks, or whatever, that's not the stuff we're talking about. movement conservatives talk about that stuff on on radio and TV and blogs, and they get extremely excited and energized, you know, the Muslims are coming, the Muslims are coming. That's not how ordinary people talk about their country. And so the conservatism that focuses on that, for whatever reason, whether they're looking for blog hits or phone calls or donations, you know, whatever it is, it's not mainstream conservatism, and Brad Wall is very, very much in the mainstream.
3: I agree with uh, everything you said there, Charles, but but is he a savior? Like, is it enough that Brad Wall runs uh, or is the leader of the federal conservatives that that would all of a sudden renew their fortunes? Or is he just part of a process of having guys like him, you know, in the room, not bringing up the refugees, not bringing up gay marriage, not bringing up abortion? Is, Is that what the process looks like?
4: Well, he has to reframe what conservatism looks like. He's got the the, the brand needs to be rehabbed, and um, you know he's he's Betty Ford. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just that's that. I mean, it really you know it it really does matter. I mean, the, the brand has is, is taken a, a kick in uh, for the the last number of years, and it needs uh, some healing. It needs some uh, rebranding, and so Brad Wall would be part of that. But this idea of uh, you know the the White Knights and the horse and the the, the savior, life doesn't work that way. You you know, you talked earlier about how millennials and others have made up their minds in the last number of years that they just don't identify uh, with the conservatives. So this uh, is possibly a long haul. And I tell friends of mine who, you know, think that the Trudeau thing is just a blip. uh, It's not a blip. You know, it's not a blip. It was a long time coming. Justin Trudeau was the the beneficiary of of conservatism uh, breaking down, uh, but it was going to happen. I mean, it nearly it was nearly Mulcair. Mulcair had obviously a, a bad patch at the at the wrong time in his political life, and and Justin Trudeau benefited from it. But but the point is uh, that it's very very unlikely that a government with a majority this large uh, will not win again uh, three and a half years from now. They, they likely will. So. It is a long haul uh, if Brad Wall is the leader, whoever the leader is, uh, should not have any great expectation uh, that it won't take at least two or three elections uh, for the Conservatives to form government again.
2: Well, and, you know that's the thing. I mean, especially someone like Brad Wall, and, and you know even someone like Michelle Rempel, someone you know some of these candidates on the younger side of things, they've got time on their side. So, do you want to be the one who jumps in as leader now and has to to bounce back from defeat in twenty nineteen, or do you wait it out and uh, you know you come in later on when when there's, uh, when the liberals are more vulnerable and when there's there's more of a desperation for conservatives to win.
4: Well. What impression do you guys have? Do you think that most mainstream conservatives expect that Trudeau is just going to go off the cliff, that the economy is going to go off the cliff, that there will be you know, terrorism at the shopping centers and chaos in Canada, and people will go, oh, my God, you know, the, kid, the kid really wasn't ready, and we need to go to, to back to the blue team? I mean, is, is that how mainstream conservatives see the next couple of years?
3: Uh, I'll answer the rhetorical question as as no,
4: and that is why, <laughs> and that is why a guy like Brad Wall, uh, who is very grounded, uh, and uh, is a common sense conservative, is the kind of guy that the conservatives need. Because if they put someone in there who's just desperate to push buttons, yeah, you know the same old you know fear buttons to to do a, a slightly more nuanced version of Donald Trump, that's just going to once again, take that sort of cartoon conservatism that we have right now, that cartoon that millennials and others have, and it's just going to make it worse.
3: Yeah, well, no doubt. I mean, I don't think you're going to see Brad Wall setting up some sort of barbaric practices tip line in Saskatchewan anytime soon.
2: Well, the other thing is that yeah. Brad Wall was patient. The, you know, the Saskatchewan party was a long time coming. Brad Wall didn't come in as, wow, here's this star candidate. Brad Wall came in and made a name for himself and worked hard to... to uh, uh, earn the trust of of saskatchewan voters and and you know it didn't happen overnight and I think conservatives certainly in Alberta where they're getting the double whammy of, of Rachel Notley and Justin Trudeau, they want a quick fix
4: absolutely I, I can totally understand why based on what's been going on uh, for the last year, especially because of the economy and uh, the NDP g- giving almost nobody uh, the confidence uh, that they're the, the grown-ups to to handle this stuff, to navigate the waters. I, I totally understand why uh, many Albertans would be desperate uh, for, for the quick fix. But in most of the rest of relatively happy, relatively uh, complacent Canada, um, the, the new government in Ottawa is not scaring the pants off them.
3: Right. Well, Charles, you know, you know how this business works. When we get to the bottom of the clock, we've got to stop her down for the news, and that's where we're at right now. So to- Give
4: my best to my buddy John Iverson. I'll interesting column in today's post. Oh, very yeah, interesting. Yeah, no doubt.
3: We're excited to talk to him about him. Uh, talk to him about it next. But we want to thank you for your time today, as always, sir. Thank you. You bet. All right, Charles Adler. You can read him at charlesadler.com. You can listen to him as uh, host of his own program on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Channel One Sixty Seven Canada Talks.
2: Well, as mentioned, we are going to hear from John Iveson, of the National Post, uh, our favorite Scotsman. He's going to be with us after 1030. And uh, boy, he's got an interesting uh, tidbit in his piece today. It's not a surprise that the Conservatives would like to uh, have Brad Wall in the leadership race. But their plan B, if this is to be believed, is is quite something.
3: Uh, ooh, we'll have to tell you what it is after the news. It's King Caden and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Hey, right, welcome back. King and Breaking Ridge. I'm Roger. That's Rob. I'm uh, going to spend some time this half hour talking about one of the biggest trends that's developing in, uh, in the motor car sphere, uh, that being Tesla Motors. Now, I mentioned before the break that if you happen to be a Tesla shareholder, you're enjoying uh, your stock being up about four and a quarter percent as we speak, and it's Oof. been on a little bit of a run. There's also been lineups at Tesla stores, like the one in Chinook Center. People trying to plunk down some hard-earned cash to get themselves on a list of one of the 276,000 or so people. You could buy one here. You you can you can spend a little bit of money to put your name on a list to get
2: buy it for a thousand and then resell it for like five thousand. I don't think that's how it works,
3: but I think that what you get is uh, the right to purchase one of these vehicles when it comes out, when they're ready to be shipped, whenever that time (laughs) may be. There's an absolute pandemonium around uh, Tesla right now and their uh, uh, their leader, Elon Musk. And joining us to talk about it is David Booth, senior writer for Post Media. Uh, he's got a piece about Elon and Tesla on uh, the driving.ca website today. Uh, so, David, what are we to make of this, uh, this kind of uh, pandemonium?
1: Well, the first thing you should notice is there was news out this morning, just about an hour ago, in fact, um, that shows that 25% of all Tesla shares are on borrowed money, uh, that uh, leads some agencies uh, to think that uh, Tesla is being shorted. In fact, uh, Elon Musk recently came out with a statement in the last hour or so, saying that uh, warning investors not to short his stock. But it's it it, it certainly points to the hype behind the Model Three. And and my contention is that um, you know how much of this is hype, um, how much of this is reality, and do people really know what they're getting? Um, So, for instance, at my gym last night, I found out one of uh, the guys I work out with um, put a thousand bucks down on on a a Model Three. So, my first question is is uh, uh, do you know um, that you might not get this to till two thousand and nineteen or even two thousand and twenty? He had no idea. Um, People are putting these deposits down on basically on faith. It's Elon. uh, It's Tesla. um, Here's my money. And, and, you know, for something as important as uh, electric cars, for something as important as replacing the internal combustion engine um, as the uh, motivation of future cars, for something that uh, Mr. Musk himself says is necessary to save the planet, we need a more thoughtful process than this. We need something more than uh, religious fervor, if you know what I mean.
2: Why has it got to that point? I mean, you talk about the hype. How did we get to the point where there is such hype around Elon Musk and Tesla?
1: Well, that's actually a very long story. What's really interesting is that about seven, eight years ago, uh, if you uh, for those uh, in the automotive industry, remember the height behind battery powered electric cars as a solution for um, uh, the replacement of the internal combustion engine and fuel cell vehicles was about the same. And um, the reason why um, the battery powered has come to predominate now um, is because of two things. One, the uh, uh, battery-powered cars are a little easier to make and produce. And also, it is the charisma of, 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 of um, Elon Musk. He's, he's literally grabbed the headlight. He's positioned his cars in a way that makes you know the, all those environmentally friendly people feel warm and fuzzy about what they're doing.
3: Well, yeah, that's—I mean—that's kind of the narrative you're forwarding in this piece that you've got uh, in Post Media today, uh, David. Is that you know if somebody else that wasn't Elon Musk as charismatic or even as you know storied, putting rockets in space on his own money and and the Grasshopper videos and the fact that he's uh, said to be the basis of the Tony Stark character in the yeah. Iron Man films, right? That if somebody else came out with the exact same car, it wouldn't sell two hundred presales, thousand pre-sales, would it? Yeah.
1: The Chevrolet Bolt has virtually all the same attributes as the Tesla Model 3. Uh, it's the same price, and it'll be able to, you'll be able to pick one up a lot sooner than the Model 3. There are no lineups outside the motors dealerships. You know, uh, it really, really is a hype. And and he plays the crowd really well. I mean, watching the video of the presentation, you'll remember that he uh, said that 53,000 people, according to MIT, prestigious university, are killed by uh, road transportation emissions every year in the United States. That's dramatic stuff, right? What he failed to uh, tell you um, is that the very same study says that 52,000 people uh, die from the emissions from electric electricity generation in the United States because it's mainly coal fired. You know, we're, um, we're jumping from the kettle into the fire, as it were. So, you know, he's. He's really good at wowing a crowd. You know, he's, he's a Creflo A-dollar with a really fancy car.
2: <laughs> okay, well, let's,
3: let, let's focus on that piece for just a sec, because that's what interests me uh, about these electric cars, is that while you're replacing the internal combustion engine, the pollution's not coming from the tailpipe. The, the pollution is, in fact, coming from the smokestack, though, that's generating the energy that you're using to, to charge up that car. So h- how do the two compare?
1: Well, I mean, let's be uh, uh, perfectly honest. I mean, we need to reduce our tailpipe emissions. And an electric car overall will have more uh, or less, I should say, tailpipe uh, overall wheel to, uh, uh, well-to-wheels emissions than uh, an internal combustion car. It's, for instance, the numbers are better here in uh, Ontario and even better in Quebec, where most of the um, uh, electricity is uh, generated without emissions. In the States, I think it's somewhere between a third and 40% of their electricity is, is generated with, with coal, some of it high sulfur, so that's why they have a problem. Um, uh, my question would be, going back to what I said originally about the uh, battle between EVs and um, fuel cell cars, is that, you know, in many ways, the fuel cell car is is a better uh, solution to replacing the um, internal combustion engine. I will tell you what's really interesting, and, and points to that religiosity that I mentioned before. Um, Tesla owners hate fuel cell vehicles more than they hate internal combustion engines, and uh, and basically, for those that on, uh, listening that don't understand the different what a fuel, hydrogen fuel cell car is, it's an electric car. In fact, the only difference between a Tesla and the new Toyota Mirai is that the Tesla has a battery, something you might recognize from, you know, the thing that starts your car now, and the um, uh, Toyota has a fuel. Uh, cell uh, powered by hydrogen that also generates electricity that drives an electric motor it 's equally you know it 's zero emissions as well and uh, but it points to, you know, uh, to the difference you know uh, we often hate those that are closest to us, especially when it comes to religion and so <laughs> it 's it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting the parallels between uh, religious fer- fervor and the uh, and the uh, total uh, i don 't know how to say it. Um, uh, devotion of the tes- of the Tesla fans. They uh, any criticism, any question of any of Elon Musk's pronunciations or pronouncements, I should say, are um, are immediately met with condemnation. You can't question them whatsoever.
2: Okay. Well, look, I'm mean, I'm not a guy who you know has any particular fondness or otherwise for elon musk i'm kind of agnostic on the guy I, I, how I'm,
3: dare you rob <laughs> I,
2: i'm just a guy yeah. who wants to to keep some money in my pocket so if i can be convinced that i'm going to save a ton of dough by driving an electric vehicle over a, an internal combustion engine vehicle are there financial reasons to to want to line up for mm-hmm. this vehicle
1: and ah, funny you should ask i did a big study uh, of all the situation of uh, uh, of return on uh, investment on uh, hybrids, uh, plug-in hybrids, and electric vehicles, um, and I based it on the fuel costs as uh, uh, noted by Transport Canada on its uh, evaluation, and it's based, I think, on. Fifteen thousand kilometers a year, and a dollar nine in gas, and I forget what the um, uh, price of electricity they used. And the short answer is no, you'll never get your money back, um, especially at uh, today's low gas prices. I mean, you know, the best of them, you might get it back after eight or nine years but who, who in their right mind is going to buy a car um, and pay an extra how many thousands of dollars only to break even after nine years? I mean, um, you know, people have a hard time uh, enough now affording a car. Uh, they just can't afford to invest that much based solely on economic reasons. And that's why um, sales of uh, electric cars are still way below 1%. Hybrids have been stuck at about, Three percent of the market for ten or twelve years, and and the sales are actually declining right now because of uh, of the low price of gas.
3: You know, you remind me though in in the, uh, citing that study of something a friend of mine said when we walked by a Tesla dealership. You know, he said, "Let's walk in and check this out," and then he got all the information about buying the car and and you know the the cost of ownership, et cetera. Et cetera. and So we asked him, what are you thinking about buying one of these, Eddie? And he says, no, but my next car, whenever that is, is probably going to be an electric car. So there's a lot of people that are just kind of coming to the electric car uh, idea and the doorway is all of this Tesla fanfare. Um,
1: Well, it is. You're you're
3: absolutely right. The the problem, again,
1: is people are saying that this points to a great future for electric cars. How many people lined up for for um, these Tesla Model Threes, in fact, it doesn't. It, it's, there's been no growth in in, in EVs over the, over the last years that is significant. It's certainly not anywhere near what expectations were. And you have to remember that for everybody but Tesla, um, and, and and you know uh, most of them are only promoting EVs because they're absolutely necessary to meet. The miles per gallon um, um, uh, regulations in various countries: Europe, uh, United States. You know, um, uh, Uh, President Obama wants 55 miles per gallon by by 2015. There is no pent up demand. Besides, again, this fervor for Teslas for electric vehicles, there isn't. Um, There's been no experience uh, of it in 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 my in 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 my research. Their their sales are very very disappointing. So this is uniquely Tesla. This is not people want. Um, um, this is not people want an electric vehicle. This is people want an Apple iWatch. Seriously, that they can drive
3: around it. Right. This is all it is. That's how I feel about it. (laughs) Well, look, I mean, I'm interested in it, but I'll tell you something, though. I mean, everything you said, David, be damned. uh, I sat in the Tesla Roadster, you know, with the Lotus body and stuff like that, and I just liked the car. And I think that that's a perfectly good reason to go out and buy a Tesla is because you can afford it and you like it. Well,
1: uh, listen, you know, it's great. Like, uh, every person that buys a Tesla Model S um, means that somebody else. Can go buy a Ferrari and, and 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 have somebody else be carbon crediting them. Right. <laughs> Great. Fine. I'm I'm all I'm all for it. Um, I, 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 the, as the future of of, of all of vehicles, um, I think we're being led a, a little down a garden path. Like uh, Mr. Musk wants to say, uh, his m- most famous quote is, "We will not stop till all cars are electric." Well. In in in, a, in in the near to midterm future, and I'm talking 2030, 2040, that's just not practical in any way, shape, or form. And so, p- making the, the promises that he cl- does and uh, it leads people to make false conclusions and also have false expectations. Uh, you know, again, going getting back to the to um, the to the, uh, to the religious. Metaphor, It's exactly like all the pronouncements of all those televangelists on Sunday morning. People believe them and then they go and act upon them, and it does nobody any good.
2: Here's the thing. Even if Elon Musk is is right, even if he's got it all figured out, uh, he's an idea guy, but he's not necessarily a factory guy. It seems that the the big car manufacturers, if they want to come in and, and steal his ideas, they've got the capacity to do a lot more than he can. You
1: got to, well, let's uh, address that. Um, Elon Musk and Tesla made a big noise, I think it was about somewhere between 12 and 18, about 12 months ago, uh, about releasing all of Tesla's patents. Okay. Um, Nobody cared. Most of the car companies have better batteries and battery technology than Tesla does. Uh, He doesn't have an advancement. I mean, a, a Tesla Model X or Model S is actually powered by about seventy two hundred panasonic um, laptop batteries all wired together it 's not rocket science um, uh, he, now that being said, he builds a beautiful car it drives well there 's a lot of technological innovation in in the inside uh, and he is leading a charge but let 's again this isn 't about so much um Discrediting, discrediting Elon Musk completely, and decrying anything that Tesla does. Let's not build him into the second coming of Jesus
3: Christ, though. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that that, that seems because he does he does have that celebrity status, and I, I think you're right. There's a lot of people who can uh, easily see the correlation you're drawing between what Elon I mean, is doing and what these anyway, evangelists and, and do. And
1: so, look where celebrity right. leads us. Do do, do do you want your kids emulating? Um, uh, Ju- uh, Justin Bieber or Miley Cyrus?
3: I don't have kids it- for this very reason, David. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and that's probably why I don't have an electric car. But there
3: you go. <laughs> but, but but tell me this, though. I mean, one of the big things and this is a question that a lot of people have, so uh, you know, maybe we'll just wrap up on this, is is the practicality of it because like I said before and I stand by this, a great reason to go buy a Tesla is because you like the Tesla and you want the Tesla and you can afford the Tesla. But are you going to run out of juice because the the network that supports it just isn't there? Is it just going to be your town car? Well, I'll ask you another question
1: of the practicalities. So right now, I mean, um, I'm in Toronto and, and the road to Montreal has a um, station, you know, various stations that are Petro Canada's, and they have, I think they got to, between 12 and 16 pumps. The average gas car takes about five minutes to fill up, and there's usually a lineup for those things on a Saturday or Sunday. So, you know, we need the equivalent of 16 pumps working 24 7, occasionally on the side of the road. Now, an electric car takes. At best, those were all supercharger stations, about 30 minutes to charge up. So that tells me that I'm going to need either six times as many superchargers, that would work out to a Petro Canada with 72 stations to, to uh, charge all the cars if they were all electric, or we're going to need um, some sort of. Even quicker charging system that would allow these cars to be charged in three or four or five minutes, like gas. And as one electrical expert uh, told me, that would mean every um, roadside gas station or refueling station, as it were, uh, would need a nuclear power plant in the in, in the backyard to to uh, to be able to fulfill the electric demand.
3: So, so that's like a no.
1: I think that's a no, yes. I, 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 I don't see us building, you know, electrical power plants, you know, just for uh, roadside uh, recharging stations.
2: All right. You know, well, it's, uh, driving.ca. David, thanks so much for joining us here this morning. Appreciate this. Uh,
1: thank you, and uh, it was a pleasure. i call anytime.
3: All right, right, will do. Um, that is uh, David Booth. He is a senior writer for Post Media uh, News uh Post Media Driving driving.ca yeah. yeah let's take a pause right here we'll come back and uh, more on this and your thoughts as well A text message 770 or nine seven four eight two five five. it's kinkade and breaking on news talk 770 all
2: right welcome back nine seven four eight two five five is our telephone number talking about the uh, cult of tesla as some some like to call it uh yeah, I mean, you don't see that kind of excitement for any other automaker. But if if the Chevy Bolt can essentially be and do what Tesla vehicles are and do, that what, what what is the advantage of a Tesla? It's sexy. That's what. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah.
3: yeah. Uh, so let's take a phone call nine seven four
5: eight two five
3: five. Let's see what uh, Roy's
5: got. Hi, Roy. How you doing? Uh, not too bad. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I thought. Uh, Maybe you can ask some of your listeners if they have information on when they came out with that engine years ago that ran off of water It broke down the hydrogen and oxygen, and the vehicle itself just worked off the hydrogen gas. Uh, It was like a supplement to the uh, internal combustion engine. Um, I'm not that knowledgeable about, but I remember years or a few years ago they had some uh, engines that were invented uh, that actually worked off of that. Um, but whatever took place from that point, I'm not sure. But I'm not going to tie you up now. I, uh, I say I don't. I'm not knowledgeable about. But I just thought maybe some of your listeners might have some information. All right.
3: On yeah. It. No, it's cool, Roy. I really appreciate it. And uh, maybe that's something we can uh, look into for a, a segment on another day. Hi, Rob. How you doing?
0: Good morning, gentlemen. Um, I understand that the, the battery, like in a conventional uh, gas-powered car. The battery basically is just there to start the car. Once the car is running, you can actually unhook the battery cable and it will run off the alternator. Correct? That's
3: my understanding, yeah.
0: This used to be. Anyways, just wondering why they couldn't build in some kind of alternator in the electric car. So basically as the car is being moving, you know, the axles or what have you, that it would not be self-charging where you'd have an alternator where it would actually put power back into the rechargeable battery. What
3: would power the alternator?
0: Um Pulleys running off the axle.
3: Well, what would just power? Like, what would like power the axle?
0: Your alternator now. Oh, I see. You know, I, I see what like you're saying. Have a serpentine you, belt, uh, you know, yeah. you have a serpentine belt running your water pump, your alternator, your air conditioner. See, I, have-
3: I'm going to categorize this, Robin. Something that I usually do. That it's like if, uh if, if. What What do you do for a living? In just out of curiosity.
0: Uh. The,
3: I'm a service tech. Okay, so, because if you and the radio host are having this conversation about why the electric car guys haven't figured this out, then my, oh, gu- my guess is because it doesn't work, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I
0: totally agree. Otherwise, But you know, hey, yeah. somebody came up with Trivial Pursuit, right?
3: Hey, that's entirely true, Rob. Hey, thanks for the phone call. I really All appreciate right, take it. Take care, guys. Take care. Thanks for listening as well. That's <laughs> going to gonna fall into a lot of categories.
2: Yeah, I would. See, yeah, I, I don't know, because... <laughs> The notion that there's an obvious solution staring us in the face, I guess it's happened, right? There are people who come forward and figure out something that, you know, no one else did. It didn't occur to anybody. But I'm going to assume that, you know, the people of Tesla maybe considered that at some point. Is there any way that somehow these vehicles could, while the wheels are spinning, generate electricity so these cars wouldn't have to be charged? It sounds. It sounds like it would be difficult. It
3: sounds think. like it would be a perpetual motion machine, though, doesn't it? Well, kind of, yeah. All right. Let's take a break right here for the news to 1130. When we come back, we're going to talk about the flu shot and uh, the the effectiveness of at least one batch that kind of makes us question, what exactly are we doing here? It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Roger Kincaid and Rob Breckenridge, weekdays starting at 930 a.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary.